Welcome to the Bean Ninjas podcast, where you get an all-access pass to see what happens behind the closed doors of a fast-growing global bookkeeping and financial reporting business. Hey everyone, I am back recording my first podcast episode after Baby Ava has arrived. She's now eight weeks old, and it's definitely more of a challenge finding a time to record the podcast where there's not going to be little cries in the background, especially challenging with international guests. This week's show, we're talking with Catalina Alvarez from Dynamite Circle, and we've worked closely with Kat when Bean Ninjas have been sponsors of the DC Big AK event. And you would have also heard us talk about the DC or Dynamite Circle, which is a community that both Wayne and I, my business partner Wayne and I are part of. And it's great to have Kat on the show today. Her role at the DC is managing the community and also running events and she shares some wonderful insights around what it takes to run an event and how you can apply some of these things to your business even if you're interested in starting out on a much smaller scale than a 300 person event and we also have a chat about remote teams and again it's interesting to get the perspective from a team member. Hi Kat and welcome to the Bean Ninjas podcast. Hi Meryl I am very excited to be on the pod and happy to talk to you. And where are you today? I know you've been moving around a little bit. So where where are you chatting to us from? Yes, I'm in the city now. I was in Austin, Texas last month, but I'm here in Mexico City for the next few months, probably until October and then over to Bangkok, Thailand. And there's a couple of different topics that we've brought you onto the podcast to, to chat about today. And one of those is being a remote team member and what it's like what the experience has been like for you and doing things like team retreats. And then the other main topic that we're going to be talking about relates to your current role, which is running events. But before we dive into those topics, let's start with a little bit of your backstory. So how did you get into working remotely and the role that you're in today? Well, it all started because I didn't want to go to college, actually, and my parents were very supportive. My dad is an entrepreneur. He has a business in China. So I decided to go to China, work for my dad, learn Mandarin. And I lived in China for four years, only worked for my dad for about a month. I did not like having my dad as my boss. It was a little too much. Uh, But it was in China that I met my husband, who's a member of the Dynamite Circle community. And he would always go off to these events in Thailand and Barcelona. And at one of these events, he was presenting, he was a speaker, and he asked me if I could go with him and and record his talk. So I went to Barcelona with him for this big DC event. It was over 100 people. And that's where I met Dan and Ian, the founders of the DC, and my bosses now. And it all kind of, it all started there. That first event, met all these cool entrepreneurs, all these awesome people. And a few months later, I found out that DC was hiring for a part-time customer service role. And I got that job. Fast forward two years later, now I'm the community manager, the event planner. I do a lot of stuff. (laughs) Wow. And so you didn't necessarily come from an event planning background. It was more that you 
evolved in the role and gradually took on these responsibilities. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've done a little bit. I was a teacher in China, an English teacher, and we put on events in my school, be it a Halloween party or birthday parties or an end of the year party where all the classes would perform. And I've always liked planning and organizing things. Planning my wedding was the most fun I ever had. And so when any part opportunity I had within the BC to tap into events, be it to support the organizers or, or just to give advice or suggestions, I was always drawn to that. And eventually I just started taking on more and more of the event planning responsibilities and I was really good at it. I've got some good people skills. I love talking to people and meeting different people and um, I'm good with languages, which comes in handy when you're negotiating and, and booking events all over the world. So um, yeah, it kind of, it wasn't my background, but it came naturally to me and it's my favorite thing that I do with planning events. And I'm going off on a slight tangent here, but what languages do you speak? You've mentioned Mandarin. Yes. Mentioned Spanish to me offline. Yes. <laughs> I speak Mandarin. I When I got to China, I was studying Mandarin hard five days a week, and, um, and I practice it a lot. I studied French back in high school, which is similar to Spanish in terms of the conjugating verbs and all that, so I'm pretty good with French. Studied Italian for a few years. My three main languages would be Mandarin, Spanish, and English, and then I can defend myself in Portuguese, Italian, and French. Incredible. And so, bringing the conversation back into event planning, how many events would you be involved in planning a year at the moment? The two main ones where I'm responsible of kind of planning everything would be. Two big events we, we host every year in Austin, Texas, with about 150 attendees, and Bangkok, Thailand, with a little over 300 attendees. These uh, Last year, we had close to 350. And I also support the DC members that host their own events, smaller events all over the world. There's about 10 of them every year, and um, they're member-hosted, but if they ask me for email templates or help recruiting speakers or any type of help that I can do for my computer, um, I'll jump on that as well. And what are the, the main parts in running one of these big events? So how far out would you start planning that? And if you were to help a business owner who's thinking about putting on an event with over 100 people, how far in advance should they start planning? And what are some of the key tips that you would, would share with them? We start planning these events about a year in advance. The thing is, because our events have been going for a few years already, the day the event finishes, so let's say this last event in Austin, Texas, that was in April, the last day of that event, we will open up ticket sales for next year's event. And we've already sold a good amount of tickets for next year. We've already signed a contract with the hotel. It just takes so much stress off your plate. Because if you decide to plan the event, and you want to do it next month, you just might not find a venue. There's so much that goes into it. Um, so we like to secure the space about a year in advance and start with super, super early bird tickets. These are people that will buy tickets without knowing the schedule, without knowing the speakers, without really knowing anything. They just know that they want to meet other entrepreneurs. They'll get the best price. After that, we'll have a second early bird tier once we've already announced more content and more of the event schedule. 
and then about two months before the event, we'll increase the prices again, and um, that'll be the, the standard price. So a year in advance is good for the venue and for selling tickets and, uh, yeah, finding speakers, sponsors. The more time you have, the better. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine there's a chunk of work that goes in up front in finding the right venue for the type of event that you want to host. And then is there a lot of other work around that year in advance? If I'm thinking of planning out a project timeline, knowing, okay, we're going to hold an event in a year's time. We'll try and secure the venue about a year out. What does the rest of that timeline look like leading up to that event? Are there some things that you'd want to have in place by the six-month mark? And then I imagine there's some things that you can't really finalise until a lot closer to the event. Yes. Once you have the venue and you understand your costs in terms of the event space, audiovisual stuff is usually extra. Depends on the country. In Asia, everything's included. In the U.S., everything is extra. That's a lesson I learned the hard way. <laughs> so, um, AV, well, once you know your cost, then you can set the ticket price and start selling tickets. We've seen that if you want to get entrepreneurs to speak at your event or professional speakers, it doesn't really matter who you want to speak. The sooner you tell them, the better, because you don't know who might be planning on spending the summer in another country or what their plans are. You don't know how far these people are planning their travels and itinerary, how far in advance. So the, the earlier you can tell people, hey, I'd love for you to speak at my event. I'm really interested in, in your story. The more likely you are to get that person. For example, we had a speaker in our Austin, Texas event that was really good. I asked her if she could speak at our um, for event she's already booked up she's got another event at the same time so we missed that one so speakers and venue first if you're looking into sponsors that always helps uh, the sooner you get your sponsors that's also more money that you can put into the event the sooner you get the sponsors the more promotion they will get as well because you can start advertising the event and sponsored by these companies things that you can't do in advance it's really finalizing the event schedule. Um, so people will ask me, hey, what's the Wednesday schedule going to be? And we're still confirming the talks and how long the breaks are going to be and where the evening parties or the dinners are going to be. All that stuff, it's much harder to plan in advance. So schedules and emails to the attendees, all that stuff kind of have to do with the last few months before the event. And we've been a sponsor at CCBKK, the event in Bangkok. And so we've worked with you closely on that. You were a great support for us as new sponsors. <laughs> and I think that you arrived well in advance of the event. You were there, you arrived a week or so or more than that prior to the event. Yeah, at least one week before. So the thing is planning these events remotely, The one of the big difficulties is looking for restaurants or bars where you want people to meet because if the hotel easier with the hotel you know what to expect from a hotel but if you try to book a restaurant they'll tell you yes we have capacity for 300 people and then you show up and it's tiny and it's loud with low ceilings so i try to get there almost two weeks before the event and i'll check all of the venues, all the restaurants, bars, everything. If we haven't worked with them before, if I haven't seen the space before, if possible, 
it's great to get some volunteers. If you're not based in the city or the country where you're trying to host an event, try to get some volunteers. Um, just people that are based there, that know the area, they'll be able to check out these restaurants or bars for you, give you an initial verdict, like, hey, it's loud, it's small, it's expensive, or it looks old, the decoration is ugly. They can give you some initial insights, and then I'll still go um, the week before the event and, and confirm everything, confirm how we want the chairs set up, what music we want, the last few things. Uh, if we didn't have volunteers kind of vetting these places in advance, it would be impossible to get a good, good restaurant or bar. And related to the topic of planning an event remotely, I imagine that there's just some gear that you need at an event, whether it's signs, branded material, t-shirts. And again, I know from my own experience of trying to carry 40 kilograms of notebooks <laughs> into from Australia to Thailand, that, yes. which, which I, I didn't think through well at the time, that you need equipment. We were just sponsors, but we had quite a lot of gear that we needed to bring with us. And I imagine it would be on a much larger scale. So how do you plan the logistics? Do you buy things in the city that you are running the event or do you have to ship a lot of things out in advance? We do a little bit of both. There's some things that we get from Thailand or from the, the country directly. So specifically any staging decorations, if you want a big backdrop with sponsor logos or with the name of the event or, or anything like that, any type of decoration that you want on stage, it's easiest to work with the local company. They can come to the hotel, they can measure things. It's, it's much easier to work with local businesses for that. For t-shirts and swag and, and stuff like that, it's usually cheaper to get it from China or get it from a swag vendor. They have all these companies. If you Google custom pens or custom t-shirts, you'll get hundreds of results. And it's usually much cheaper than getting it from the wherever you're hosting the event. We are very picky with the quality of our t-shirts for these events. The secret is they are tri-blend t-shirts. Most people think that 100% cotton is the best, but it's actually not. These tri-blend t-shirts are made of three different materials. They're pretty pricey and we order them from the US and have them shipped all the way to Thailand. We spend a couple thousand bucks in customs alone every year, but it's so worth it. Our, our t-shirts are well known for being good quality and, and durable. <laughs> yes. And the next thing that, that I wanted to ask you about was any success stories or lessons learned. And, and I don't know how much you can share, but I've always thought, or I've always been concerned about running an event myself because it seemed like there's just so many little things or big things that could go wrong at the last minute. Yes. <laughs> Have you got any stories like that that you can share or, or yes. lessons learned? So many. I'll give you a couple. <laughs> um, so one thing that I've learned the hard way is speakers aren't totally reliable. You never know if someone's family member is going to get sick or anything could happen. You need to have backup speakers. We've Every year, we'll get at least one last-minute cancellation. So we always have two or three backup options. The best way to do this is out of the people that are attending your event, you'll, you'll look at the attendee list and say, okay, out of these 20, 30, 50, 300 people, who might be able to give a good talk if someone cancels? So that's what we'll usually do for every event. 
look at the attendee list and pick a couple of names that could potentially step in as a last minute replacement. That's a big one. And do they know they're the backup or do you know that they could prepare a talk quickly in a couple of days notice? We won't tell them, hey, we're considering you as a backup. It'll, it'll be a mix <laughs> of us knowing that they have an interesting story or an interesting business or they just have content to share. They may or may not want to do it. We've reached out to some of our backup options and they say, hey, I don't want to do it. I don't want to prepare this talk in one week. I don't want to bomb on stage and have people laugh at me. So it's good to have at least three or four uh, backup options. One of them will always step up and do you the favor. And of course, these speakers would get a free ticket to the event. So you'll tell them, hey, someone canceled. I'll refund your ticket in full if you are able to prepare a talk in the next five days. And most people will, will do it. Interesting. I can imagine with speakers, that would be stressful if you have someone that's especially the keynote speaker and then something happens. Yes, it is very stressful. I'd say that's an advantage of a community event like Dynamite Circle where people are going not just for the keynote speaker, but I can imagine that would be more of a challenge if that was the main reason that someone was going to an event. Yes, absolutely. If people are attending your event because of the speakers and someone cancels, we thankfully, knock on wood, we've never had to deal with that. But I can imagine some people might ask for a refund or things like that, or they might be disappointed. Thankfully, our events, we don't usually have famous speakers. It's more about people's stories, their real life day-to-day entrepreneurs working in their businesses and sharing what they're doing. So thankfully, we've never had a lot of complaints for these uh, last-minute replacements. And do you have any other stories that you can share? Yeah. <laughs> the first event that I kind of planned by myself was BCBKK 2018, I think, last year. I've been helping at the last, for the last couple of years, um, kind of supporting my colleagues last year was the first one I kind of took over everything and uh, going from that event in Bangkok to the US this past event we did in April in Austin Texas it was a new hotel this was the first time we'd worked with them and uh, contract negotiations are difficult especially when you're not sure what you need and with the first time you work with the hotel at the Conrad the hotel we use in Bangkok this is going to be the seventh year, seventh consecutive year we work with them. So it's basically the same contract every year. They always try to up the prices. We always negotiate them down. It's pretty easy. With a new hotel, you might not notice that something's not included in the contract. And uh, that happened to us. It was the audiovisuals. And uh, I thought it was included in the event space and the rental that we were paying. And it wasn't. And um, it was a, a lot of money. At a, like a month before the event, it was like, oh, here's your bill for all the AV. And uh, it was unexpected. We were able to recover and we complained to them. We worked it out. But, uh, but yeah, contracts, you should spend a week just writing down every little thing you're going to need for your event. Every coffee break, every meal, any transportation. If you need a clicker or an HDMI adapter, any little thing, you want that in the contract or they will charge you extra. Yeah, great point. And I'm picturing 
having to think through everything so far in advance and all of those little details, it would be very easy mm -hmm. to miss something. Yes, it's hard. And when you come from this relationship with a the hotel that you had for six, seven years, you think it's that easy with every other hotel, but of course not. You got to build that relationship and they're not willing to give you anything for free when it's your first time working with a new partner. So um, yeah, if you planned events before, think every venue, every hotel is going to be different and try to include everything in the contract. And before we move on to the topic of remote teams, did you have anything else, any other insights that you wanted to share around events or any other tips that you would have for either a business owner running it themselves or hiring someone to run an event for them and their business? Um, I've got a couple of short things. One, you might think when planning the schedule of your event, it's easy to just schedule everything back to back, one talk and then lunch and then another talk and then another talk and then this. And we've learned that people want breaks. People want free time to network or go take a nap or go catch up on their emails. It's very important to leave break time. So the talks should not start directly after each other. A 30 minute break will be much appreciated. So that's one thing. Other Assume that nobody is reading anything. Um, we send announcements to attendees via an app, via email. We'll post it in the forum. And I used to think, like, oh, this is so repetitive. People must hate us. We're sending the same information on all these different platforms. On Slack, too, we would have a Slack channel for the event. And uh, no, and then you hear from attendees, oh, I only check the app. I only check the forum or I only check emails, and if any information wasn't distributed on all platforms, people would miss it. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, don't be afraid of being repetitive when it comes to event planning. Yes. So moving on to the topic of remote teams, I'm interested particularly because there seems like there's two different businesses with the same bosses, Dan and Ian. There's Tropical MBA and Dynamite Circle, and are they run like two different business units? And you've talked a little bit about running events, and how does your role tie in with the rest of the business? So why don't we talk a little bit about that to set the scene, and then let's have a chat about what it's like being a remote team member. Yeah, um, so actually when I started working with the DC back in 2017, there was only the community and then the podcast and blog, the Tropical MBA. Now we actually have a third pillar in the business, which is Dynamite Jobs, and it's grown faster than anything. And now we actually have more people working on Dynamite Jobs than in the, well, there's a lot of overlap. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of new people working with us because of this Dynamite Jobs. And there's a lot of crossover in between the three, the podcast, the community, and the job board. But I would say I'm focused on the community. I do a little bit of work on the podcast, helping find podcast sponsors and, and coming up with uh, leads for uh, interesting guests and topics for interviews and things like that. The three are very related. We all kind of know what we're working on. We all send weekly reports. We try to do team-wide calls. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. And so with the three different business units, do they each report into one manager or do you have two bosses? Yeah. How does that work? And I'm interested. I'm asking that because I have a business partner, Wayne, 
And so that's something that we work on. There's two partners. So how do we manage the reporting lines and flow of communication and decisions? So we all kind of report to Dan and Ian, but then we have some part-time team members and some part-time staff. They'll report. So for example, on the Dynamite job side, the newer staff or the part-time staff, they'll report to Alexander. He's in charge of Dynamite Jobs. He's kind of the face of the brand and he will send reports to Dan and Ian. Similarly, my colleague Sophie, she started working with us about six months ago. She'll let me know what she's doing and I just send a, a collective report of the DC side of things. Otherwise, it'd be like 10 different reports and that, that's a little too much. Yeah. That makes sense. And so where are the other team? You all spread out. Are there any team members with you in Mexico City? Are you based all around the world? We're pretty spread out. And uh, Dan and Ian themselves travel a lot as well. They're in the U.S. now. They'll head to, they'll go to Asia or they'll go to, they love Barcelona and love cycling Barcelona. So our whole team moves a lot. I'm currently in Mexico City. We have someone in Colombia. We have people in the US. We have someone in the Philippines. I think we have someone in the UK. I'm not sure if she's traveling or not. Um, yeah, we're pretty spread out all over the place. And what has it been like for you being in a remote team? Are there parts that have been challenging? Are there parts that you really love? I'm interested in your insight of what it's like as a team member in a bigger remote team. Um, so the main challenge for me coming from a teaching job in China was the loneliness in the beginning. So, yeah, you have a team and you're constantly chit-chatting on Slack or Skype. But working from home, just waking up and sitting at your dining table all day by yourself, it's lonely. It gets boring. So for me, I feel like I had no solution and I could never work remotely because I love being surrounded by people. And someone told me, I don't know whose idea it was, was like, oh, just go check out a co-working space. And I haven't looked back since then. Everywhere I go, whether I'm in Asia, Europe, the U.S., doesn't matter where, the first thing I do is find a co-working space. Even if I'm only there for a week, I can't stand working home alone or in a hotel room all day by myself. And sure, you can go to Starbucks, but I like having a more of a steady workspace. I'll, I'll book a co-working space for a week, for a month, for a year, whatever it is. I'm similar. If I'm traveling, I'll go and check out the local co-working space and feel like I have workspace, interact. And even if sometimes I won't even talk to other people in the space, I often am there to have a chat and say hello, but sometimes I won't. But just being around other people that look super productive and they're often really nice spaces, they've got a good feel, I'll do the same thing and then know that, okay, I've finished work for the day. That was one of the challenges I had with remote work when I was working from home was not having definition between what was work time and what was home time. And then everything, I just felt like I should be working the whole time. <laughs> Absolutely. I felt the same. I'd be home, so I'd be like, oh, I might as well take a nap or I might as well, I'm bored. I'll watch a TV show and then I'll just work later today. And if your schedule just gets blurry and there's no home time, personal time, work time, if you work from home, it's really hard to separate. So for me, I do work from home a little bit, but I try to separate work hours in the office and personal time at home. If I have to see a specific email on my phone or something important, 
I'll work a little bit from home, but uh, but it's good to have that separation. And I heard that you recently had a team retreat where you all met together after, I think it was after DC Austin. Could you tell me a little more about that and what that was like? Yeah, that was the first team retreat we'd ever done, at least since I've been working with the DC for the last two and a half years. And uh, because our company has been growing lately since we launched the, the job board, we've realized that there's all these people working on all these different things. And um, we didn't know who's doing what and how we can help each other, what the overlap was. So yeah, we decided since a lot of us were going to be in Austin for this big event, we're like, hey, let's all stay for an extra week. We'll do meetings and we'll do some fun stuff and uh, talk and get to know each other. And it was amazing. We all loved it. We're going to do it again, probably after this Bangkok event. Um, we also want to start doing it twice a year. Our goal as of now is to do it twice a year in person after these two main events that most of us have to go to and twice a year online, just find a time where everyone on the team can have on the phone and do an hour long call with everyone twice a year. So those are, that's what we're hoping for. We're all so excited after this last retreat. We're like, oh, we're gonna do it four times a year. We'll, we'll see if we're able to, to arrange that. But, uh, but I would love to, it was great. One of the things we did, um, we had a meeting, it was eight of us. And we all talked about what we do, what our day-to-day -day looks like, what our favorite things are, what our least favorite things are. And I realized some of the things I don't like to do, other people on the team can help me with. I personally feel like I'm not great at copywriting. And sure enough, <laughs> there's plenty of other people on the team that are great at copywriting. So yeah, we all kind of talked about the things we're not so good at or we don't like and how the rest of us can, can support and help each other and uh, it's been great I'm still kind of on a high since that team retreat and I feel much more connected to the rest of the team that's a real win if there's things that you're not enjoying related to your role and, and someone else loves it I mean that's a great win yeah it was it was really cool and just the, the high that you talked about too I know that you can get that oh I know I come away from events like the DCBKK on that high full of ideas and full of motivation. And we haven't run a team retreat at Ninjas yet, but that's one of our goals for 2020. And I'm hoping that we can create that same vibe as well of everyone meeting and connecting and coming away on a high, feeling excited about the business and what's happening over into the future. So it's great to hear that that was the outcome for you with your team retreat. It was great. It's tough with the remote team. I mean, I'll see my bosses only twice a year, maybe three times a year. There were some people on the team that I didn't even know what they did, if they were part-time or full-time over on the podcast side of things or the job board side of things. And now I feel like I know exactly what everyone does, who I can ask for help with what things, what people's strengths and weaknesses are. I just feel like I know these people so much better now. And I'm excited for the next one and see that progress from retreat to retreat. And uh, yeah, it was really, I really don't have any negative comments. The only note, this was our first retreat. We decided to kick it off with the day of just fun activities. So we did, we did an escape room, which was really, really fun. We went to this BYOB mini golf, which was really fun. 
And then we all went off to dinner and we had margaritas and it was great. The next day would be only meetings. In the future, we would split it up and have half a day of meetings and it's something fun, half a day of meetings and fun. So split up the day weekly because we try to do like six hours of meetings just talking about the company and it's a little tiring. So I would definitely mix in the fun. Especially if you've had a day of fun and margaritas the day before. <laughs> yes, we had a late start. Two of our team members were running late. Some of us were a little hungover. Um, so yeah, I would definitely mix those up for the next one. But it was great. All in all, it was really fun. Well, Kat, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been a great chat. I love talking about remote teams and excited to talk about events too. I think they're an interesting avenue for businesses to build a community around what they do and to meet the people that they work with and partners and people within their industry. So that's something that we may look at doing. It still does sound like a lot of work. So I don't know if we'll do that, run an event at Vintages anytime soon, but it is really interesting and insightful to hear your thoughts on running events. So, Yeah, I, anytime, just uh, message me, call me. I'd love to talk about events and communities and masterminds. I'm really passionate about what I do. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you, Meryl. Talk to you soon. Well, thanks so much for coming with us. By the way, if you want support to get paid and make better decisions, we've put together a zero small business toolkit, including cash flow forecast templates and guides to setting up zero. Grab it for free at beingninjas.com slash zero toolkit. And that's X-E-R-O-T-O-O-L-K-I-T.